flying sign with Joe Clady. This is Stoic Forge. Why does the West call so many people? I don't know. Uh, it could be the feeling of adventure, the feeling of a better life, opportunity, mystery. Could be the beauty, the diverse and booming landscapes that seem to just go on forever, interrupted by only mountains, uh, desert plateaus, the occasional truck stop. I don't know, but uh, there's something about it that, that called me to go that way, to just turn that direction and take that way out of town. Now, the year is 2011, and I am a 20-year-old boy, currently enrolled at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. I had been feeling that call, not to go west, but to do something. Um, like so many that that see the film or read the book, I, I, I saw the film because, unfortunately, I'm an idiot and reading is not a, a big part of my life, unfortunately, but um, saw the, the film Into the Wild uh, a year prior, and there was something about that that uh, put an itch in me to just leave it behind. Uh, I had a beautiful life, a beautiful family, excellent friends. It, people say that, you know, oh, I got the best friends or, or I could have a show with my friends. You know, we could be the next reality show. I, I can't say enough how, how good of friends that I have and had. I, I had the same friends since kindergarten and then thanks to the, the robots out there, I was, I was given new friends at IU uh, living on my, my dormitory floor freshman year of college. And I clicked with many of them immediately and created this close knit group of friends that, um, I left behind and I didn't want to, I just had to for anyone that has a growing itch or something instilled in them. You can't get it out of your head until you do it. It's not OCD. People like to put that term on everything uh, that that you have. Like, oh, I got, I gotta, I gotta, you know, wash my hands. And and for some people, it 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 is OCD. But like, oh, I like things a certain way. I'm tidy. I'm OCD. There's there's a difference, and that's not what this was. I it's it's more of a a seed that gets planted and doesn't grow. Uh, it just vibrates and annoys and bothers until you water it. And that's what I eventually decided to do a year later. But, but the year between, um, uh, 2010 and 2011 was brutal hell, uh, in, in, 
waiting to water that seed and feeling it vibrate deep in my head, knowing that I was going to leave somehow, somewhere, some way. I didn't, I didn't know yet, but I, it was just vibrating in my head. And I lived in these apartments across from the stadium at, uh, Indiana University. They were called the Varsity Villas, and I lived with two dear friends, one that was old, one that was new friends, and and we got this place together, and we had a blast, and uh, had, had the best parties, and we would uh, have dinners together, and, and we did so much together, and it was, it was so much fun uh, the first semester. But then something happened in me uh, that winter where that vibration grew stronger and stronger, that it made me start to spiral uh, in a way that I, I would break down and not cry, but just like shake. And, and I, but I, I didn't want to share it with anyone because I knew that once I said, I'm, I'm not coming back, that all of these dear friends, new and old, would find some way to keep me there. Not, not selfishly, because they needed me, but, but, but in a caring way, because they love me. And they needed to make sure that I was okay. And so, I didn't tell anyone. And then December rolls around, and I start to feel panic that I couldn't really control and it was it was hard to place a uh, a pinpoint on, on what it was because I didn't know what I was gonna do and so eventually I found at least a um, not a destination but a route and that route was to go west now, when I was in seventh grade, uh, what would that be, 12, 13 years old, my family did the Great American Road Trip um, across Route 66 into Anaheim, Disneyland, you know, did that whole thing, then came back through Colorado and, and the north, and took about three weeks. It was beautiful. It was fun. Uh, went with the, the whole family, and it was great, and so... I knew that I wanted to not not do that again, but at least take that route because of there's something about that route that it was it wasn't created by accident. Along that way, there's many national parks and, and like the Grand Canyon, um, many de- uh, the the painted forest um, or the painted desert, the petrified forest. And, you know, along that path, there's museums and and just a lot of fun, kitschy things that, that kind of fall into that romantic idea of the 1950s that's still preserved. It's dying, but it's still preserved for now. And so I knew that's what I was going to do. How I was going to do it, I don't know. Uh, but I knew that was how it was going to go. So... That spring semester kept ticking and ticking and ticking. And I felt that panic grow larger and larger and larger. 
And I knew at some point I wasn't going to be able to do it by myself. So I asked my best friend, John, to come with me. He has this spirit in him that's uh, bold and uh, creative in in uh, a rage-like manner and a passionate-like manner that I've never seen in a human being. I've known John since we were uh, babies. We were probably five, and uh, we grew up together, and I we went through everything together. And I remember asking him, and he was down. We were going to do this thing together. Then when we were on spring break at Panama City Beach, I'll never forget it. We were St. Patrick's Day. And this was when four locos were all the rage and killing kids and making other kids make terrible decisions. Had a couple of those and lost my mind. I remember standing in the ocean with him uh, and he told me in the midst of all the craziness of the college spring break, he told me he wasn't going to go. And this was months before I ended up leaving and I broke down and he held me while I cried. And, and I don't know why he decided not to, but he, he made that choice, which I'm glad he did because that's his choice. But at that moment, I knew that I was sealing some fate within me. I know that the real reason I asked him to come was because I needed someone to help keep me alive. And not in the sense of protect me, but keep me from doing something to myself. I was at that point, and um, I, I don't know, it was, it was, now this is, this is where it's going to get hard. And um, I, I was ready to be done. I was ready to have one last great hurrah, try and find some truth to go out on. And I was becoming more and more okay with the idea, and uh, which created a very, very strong uh, dilution in my head of this uh, grandiose escape plan, uh, permanent escape plan, uh, that really had no um, ending, but it was just putting myself into a situation that may accomplish that goal. And in him saying he couldn't go was another metaphorical nail in that coffin. And I think one of the last, really. And it, it hurt, uh, but I, I think it was freeing, at least at the time, because I knew that um, it was going to be it. And, but I was okay with it because I wanted it to happen. And the uh, survival mechanism that's in all of us was the one that asked him to come. 
Did I really want him to come? No. Did I really want someone there to uh, care for me and, and, and share in this experience? No, I wanted to be by myself because I wanted it over with. But the, the human being inside of me had to reach out to something. And it, it just, it failed, which in my head was, was for the best. And so the months went on after that and the year was winding down. And it was at that point of the year where everyone was talking about the next year, where, where are you living? Where's what's going on? What, where are you living? And I would lie and, uh, just, just kind of use different names of, of, the circle of friends and say, well, I'm staying, you know, I'm getting a place with him or her or whatever. And it all came back for full circle, uh, on my 20th birthday when everyone kind of questioned me, like, where are you staying? What are you doing? And I lied. I lied my way out of it again and just said, well, I'm just getting a place with my brother who was also there at the time. And it just continued. I just just kept deflecting, deflecting, deflecting until late, just the week before everyone left. I said I wasn't coming back for the semester, but I would be back. I had to keep I had to keep leaving the door open for them so they wouldn't try to keep me here. Not like I said before, not out of selfishness, but out of love for me. And not that they knew that I was going to do what I did. Uh, I'm sure if they were to find out that I wasn't coming back, they would assume that I, assume that I was dropping out. Even though I wasn't a, a, uh, a failure as a student, I was that semester. I failed all my classes because I stopped going because I had better things to do. Uh, but that was uh, all in my head as well. So I wanted to leave right at the end of the semester, but that didn't happen because I still had no means. I still had no way of getting out. What, was I going to start walking? Uh, at the time, MapQuest was big. So I MapQuest how, much it, or how long it would take to walk to the Pacific Ocean. And it was 29 days straight, which doesn't seem like a lot, but if you're walking it straight, uh, that's, that's a long time. So decided not to do that. So I ended up working for another dear friend, uh, Chris. I worked for his dad as an excavator, uh, putting pipe in the ground, stuff like that. And I worked all summer with this man named Tim. Uh, Tim was a Vietnam vet, didn't say much uh, when he was happy, he said a lot when he was mad, but I was his guy. I was his grunt and he was the boss of me. And so every day we'd show up to good old Mooresville, Indiana to the, to the, to the shop before we headed out. And, um, Tim was probably about 65 and couldn't quite, he'd have to turn his whole, he'd have to turn his shoulders from, from his torso to look behind him. Couldn't turn his neck. And I'd always, once we got comfortable with each other, I'd give him shit for it. And, you know, he'd make fun of me calling, you know, just 
he'd say I would always get too too hot about stuff or but my my anger in the job was to be tough it wasn't to to try and I wasn't truly angry it was just like if I got mad then it didn't look like I was uh being a pussy about doing this hard work because it was hard and I'll never forget one day I told him we were having lunch and it was a rainy day and was sitting there and and just laid it out there for him and and he listened and uh by the end I could tell he didn't really understand why uh all I told him was I was just going to go west and he's like well how are you going to get out there I was like well I don't know I don't know how to get out there he's like well you got to get a vehicle and cuz at the time I had a 2002 Monte Carlo it's a good old good old gal her name was Vivica is what I named her which is so ridiculous now that I say that out loud but uh so for the next couple months as I would work with him on our lunch break we just drive around wherever the area we were working and and look for the for sale signs and, and old beat up fans or even campers and they'd always just be a little too much and uh, I couldn't afford it and I needed to go ASAP because that vibration of that seed was rocking me to where I couldn't keep it straight anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't find the difference between uh, what was really going on and what I was about to do. And he helped me uh, try and straighten it out. And uh, over time, we got to know each other uh, even more and and he told me some of his stories of of Vietnam and and his childhood and um, some of it was hard to hear and you know I'm not going to share that but um, I got to know him very well and we became good friends and um, and when it was time to go I lied to everyone at the shop besides him and said you know I was taking a job at Marsh just to be a um, cashier just something to just say you know and not to again not leave a door open to say why it was well I'm just getting another job so I can transfer down to to Bloomington once it's time to go back to school but Tim knew and so for the next couple weeks I was desperately looking for a vehicle and you know I didn't didn't know how to do that and got on Craigslist, which I was new to that as well, and started looking at vans. Because at this point, I knew I was going to have to sleep out of something. I wasn't going to camp, um, but I I knew I could I knew I could sleep in a car. I got kind of used to it down in Bloomington because I was there was that was part of the 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 delusion and I guess the the my way of practicing what I was. Uh, about to do I was I was preparing to um, be able to be in a situation to where I could survive longer to where I could hit my destination and not survive and meaning I was taking classes like uh, uh, wilderness survival and uh, wild edibles and flowers things like that that I got A's in all the while my uh, chemistry and uh, what else was I taking? I don't even finite math or some bullshit math. F's 
complete Fs, um, not even redeemable, not even close enough to where I could send that uh, groveling email at the end of the semester to try and bump me up a few points. Wasn't going to happen. So, um, so that that's what I was doing. I was preparing in some way to do that. And so I knew that if I was going to sleep out of a vehicle, it had to be a van. So after a couple weeks of looking, um, I stumbled across this van. It was a 1991 Ford Club Wagon XL. It was a piece of shit. Completely rusted out on the bumper. Uh, windows down the side so it wasn't super creepy but just creepy enough to where I I thought maybe no one would mess with me in it especially if I was sleeping so at this point now in the summer I had told a couple friends uh, just because I had to at this point I had to get it out in some way so I told another dear friend of mine who I've known forever his name's Steven and now Steven is the kind of guy that was meant to be a man. And I say that in the most stereotypical sense of a man to where he's the kind of guy that can play all the, the, the man sports. Could kick your ass at pool, kick your ass at bowling, kick your ass at darts. And hell, he's a, he's a hell of a basketball player. Bigger guy, but that dude can move like nobody else I've ever seen. And he knows his shit about cars, or at least can talk like he does. And so I asked him to come because I know nothing about cars and trucks and whatever. And so we go out there to Anderson, Indiana to look at this van. And he comes with me as my uh, my motor sensei, I guess, and to make sure that I wasn't being taken for a ride. Um. Uh, and we see the van, and it doesn't start right away. So he, he, the guy selling it had to flip the alternator, I guess, and was able to fire it up. Fire it up, and so it started uh, after doing a manual jump. Um, but we got it out of there. It was back in the back of his yard, in the corner of his yard. <laughs> covered with weeds and and up to the up to the top of the tire with tall grass and I couldn't believe what I was really looking at but that seed just saw through all of it and just was like okay this is it not because it was like uh, destined to be but because it was I was here this was the first one I saw and the only one I really wanted to see if it started I'm just gonna buy it it was 800 bucks and that was enough for me. And uh, so we pulled out of there. I talked him down 50 bucks and uh, got it for 750. And I'll never forget the look on Steven's face trying to pull that thing out of there, going to the gas station right after we left. And he's like, you better leave that on as you're filling it up with gas because it might not come back on. So, uh, he helps me, follows me, make sure that I get it home. And, but instead of taking it home to my parents, who I was living with during the summer, I parked it at a Meyer parking lot. Which now, looking back, 
it could have gotten towed. It was there for a week uh, before I had to move it. And so it sat there and sat there and I, I would take people by it just to show them at, once I started to tell people. And uh, I, the delusion was growing stronger and stronger to where I knew it was going to be fine. Like this was going to work. It was going to be good to go. To the point where I finally told my parents and I was mad that they were mad, that they were upset about it. I, I couldn't understand their logic of why it was wrong because I have developed this sense of, uh, of fate and like, well, of course this is what I'm going to do. Of course this is how it's going to go because I have the van, I have the thought, and that's, that's good, right? Meanwhile, you know, I, I didn't realize, I got to get a license, got to get it registered, got to get insurance, um, had to get all new tire. well, at least one new tire because the whole thing was falling apart. But again, I had put the blinders on and couldn't see that. So the deal with my parents was that growing up, uh, we would, if something to this caliber ever came up, there was never really an argument. It was more of just a, like, okay, and kind of talked through it. Now, God forbid you leave the fucking cabinet doors open or <laughs> forget to change the laundry, then it's the fight. But for something big like that, anytime we got in really big trouble, whether it's drinking tickets or coming home drunk or, or whatever it is, uh, that was always met with uh, understanding. And that was reflected here again. Now, that's that's not to say that it wasn't uh, a little more intense and met with uh, a more hostility. But do you blame them? I, I can't blame them now. And, um, but they knew they, they had seen it <laughs> They, as a parent. Now you can sense when something's going on with your kid and for how long would it have been seven months worth of time, they knew something was wrong because of my, uh, anxiety because of, um, uh, um, uh, how I could never be straightforward. I lied to them too. They thought I was still enrolled in school. They thought I was living with a couple friends down there and I wasn't. And I think th they knew something was screwy and, uh, they knew even more so, uh, right before the semester was out and right before I had told a, f a few people that I wasn't coming back I lost it. I I couldn't. It was right when the panic was really sinking in, and and my parents took me to the doctor. Um, and it was hard to do and hard to go to the doctor uh, for something 
um, that, that wasn't a physical ailment. It was for my head. And, uh, my mom had been taking, uh, prescribed medications for, for things that, and it worked for her. Uh, so I think she hoped that it was going to work for me. And so we sit down there with the doctor and it was hard to tell her, uh, what was going on. And so she knew right away that I had been, uh, using drugs and nothing crazy. Well, I guess that's unfair to say, but, um, she asked what I used and I gave her sheepish, sheepish look because my parents are sitting right there next to me. And she asked if that, if I wanted them to leave and I said, no, it's okay. And so I rattle them off. Um, pot, Molly, and cocaine. And I left the fourth one out, um, which was DMT, um, which I'll get into later. But I uh, left that one out because that was a big one. And not that my parents would have even known what that meant. Maybe the doctor wouldn't have even known. Oh, uh, well, I'm sure she would have. But um, so we go through all of that and um, it, it, she just didn't didn't react, the doctor at least. And um, I get prescribed Ativan for my anxiety and... Um, some Zoloft knockoff um, for the depression to serve as the antidepression. And so I, I would take them when I remembered, which is if anyone's ever had to take antidepressants, that's the worst way to take them. You might as well not take them, especially when you were a raging partier drinker like I was at the time. You can't drink on them either. It just either negates their effect or makes it worse. You're creating a cocktail of disaster. And, but for my mom's sake, I would take them just as the act thinking that it would at least make her feel better about, about how I was doing. Cause all the while she didn't know. So it's like, well, if he's taking the medicine, then he's at least okay. And so then the, the time comes when I tell them that I'm leaving and that there's a 1991 Ford club wagon sitting in the Meyer parking lot. Uh, you can understand why it came as a shock. and But not too much of a shock because of the signs and my behavior uh, over the last seven months. And so we sit there and rationally my dad explains to me what this means and what I'm going to have to do to this van now my dad wasn't encouraging me by any means but I think he understood and I think partially why I thought it was okay was because my dad did I'm not going to say similar because of all the other stuff I said but he dropped out of school, went to Europe for a couple months and, and did that whole thing. And, uh, and he came back a better person. So I think he, he saw it as, uh, a, 
a manifestation of of his past coming through from his firstborn. And I think he began to understand um, maybe why I was doing it, um, at least in his mind. I don't think he could have ever understood the end that I had in mind, uh, which was which was good because then he helped me with my goal of getting on the road. So over the course of the next week, he helped me register it, get a license, uh, which was just temporary, and so uh, and 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 take it to a family friend at at Big O Tires off of. Uh, 37 in Greenwood and man did he help me out uh that guy uh I'll never forget the look on all the guys faces and as, as I'm pulling this thing in and I, he knew ahead of time that I was coming but I don't think he could have expected the giant white elephant that I was pulling into his driveway or into his shop and uh, I had already began to decorate it in my weird way and and started to to clean it out. And some of the guys were asking me about it and, um, uh, they, uh, they were, they, they were the first guys that I had never met before that I had told that seemed pumped and that seemed to, uh, uh, solidify my decision to do something like this. It was, it was almost like it was cool, like an edgy thing to do. Like, Oh, look at this, look at this kid getting ready to, to go live out of a van and, and travel around and, you know, do that whole thing. And, um, which I'm sure half of them didn't expect it to even leave the state. Uh, but that being said, it was fixed up, got a spare tire. The other tire was fixed new alternator and it was road ready it was ready to go and um so i had it ready and i was getting ready to pack it and i started to really visualize what it uh needed to be and what i needed to have to have some sort of comfort as well as a uh uh, function, functioning, um, living space. And I found some piece of shit futon, uh, that I stacked on top of a cooler, put a couple, um, plastic drawers in there for, for clothes. Got this tiny nightstand, uh, to serve as a little desk out of the back, uh, a yard chair and, tools that I stole from my dad. I took a shovel and a, uh, a bandsaw, which I'm sure if anyone were to see the white van f- with, you know, um, like a tiny apartment with a shovel and a bandsaw, it would automatically send up red flags. My mindset was thinking that I could use it to, to earn money and, and do yard work for people and, and, you know, whatever. So had it. It was in my head. There were no seats in the back, so it made it really easy to fill this thing up the way I wanted to. So it was ready. And uh, everyone knew it was time. And like I expected, that made it hard for people to let me leave. And uh, so 
especially my brother, my brother Chad. He happened to be leaving uh, a few days prior before I did uh, to go on an internship something to San Diego. And I wanted to take him to the airport uh, because in my mind it was the last time I was going to see him. But I didn't want him to know that. Uh, But I wanted to be with him. And Chad and I... Uh, Chad and I had shared, this is going to sound so silly, but like we, we were really into the show Lost. Now for anyone out there that enjoy, it was a global phenomenon. If you didn't watch it, um, many people hated how it ended, blah, blah, blah. But I, I loved it. And we shared that from the beginning together. So over the course of that summer, we, watch the whole series again together and just you know when we'd come home at night and go down to the cool basement and 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 watch it together episode by episode and so the night before he left before I took him to the airport we finished watched the last episode and there's something about that show that uh, created that that sense of destiny and fate and and fighting against God and and what it means to uh, follow a path and if there really is a path and that show reaffirmed in my head then that destiny was real and destiny does call people and it was just a fucking show it was just a show but it fulfilled something for me and him you know he loved it too but it just like it just it just zoned me in and and the score of that show just just yanked at me and and worked my auditory reflex to where it 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 made me ache and made that seed vibrate and um i don't know it it didn't make it easier not to make the decision to go and so we finished that together and shared that. And so the next morning, it's time to go to the airport. It's a beautiful, sunny, cool summer morning. And first thing. And uh, so we're, go- we're driving to the airport and I don't say much and neither does he. And that summer, the song... Uh, uh, by the head and the heart um, uh, Lost in My Mind came on I thought I was going to forget it Lost in My Mind came on and there's a line in the first verse that says oh my brother your wisdom is older than me and Chad being my younger brother um, always did have this this smarter uh, sense about him. He was always the smarter of the two of us, at least. He, uh, I was, I've always been bigger, taller, uh, whatever, but he has always been way more intelligent and more rational at times. And uh, it, it hurt to hear that at that moment uh, because 
he didn't want me to go. And I think unlike everyone else, his wasn't selfish either, but he wasn't doing it in a loving way. It was just like a, you're wrong right now. Not wrong like he was judging me, but like wrong like, just wait. Just think about it and like, you don't have to do this right now. And uh, he never had to say it. And maybe that's not how we felt, but that's how I, that's how I took his looks. Like, just, just don't dude. Like you're being dramatic. Uh, you are having this, this grandiose idea of, of, of this destiny calling you like the show. And I mean, like I said, that show was important to both of us, but I think if I would have told him, he would have just hammered out the words like, it's just a fucking show. And, but maybe not, maybe not. And I wish I would have asked him at the time what he really thought. Uh, But I know he was sad, and so was I. And so we get to the terminal and it's time to say goodbye. And in his mind, um, he was going to see me again. So, you know, he just gave me a big hug and just that was it. And I gave him a big hug. And as the, the douchebag older brother smiled and said, get laid out there. (laughs) And he smiled and said he loved me and I said I loved him back and he walked inside and that was it and on the way home I wept and not not just cried but just just wept Um, he's my best friend he's my my brother and uh, we've been together forever in, in, in our living memories he's 13 months younger than me so he's He's always been in a life that I've had. And uh, that was the last time I was going to see him in my mind. And I couldn't control myself with how hard I was crying. And so I I just couldn't stop uh, until I got home. And was able to suck it up before I saw my parents. And... Uh, but my mom knew. She she knew that I had been crying and um, hugged me. And but I I couldn't cry yet. That wasn't wasn't the point of that moment to 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 have that with her right then. Uh, I just wasn't ready. So I'm supposed to leave the Friday. I drop Chad off on a Wednesday, and I wanted to leave Friday because there was a party going on uh, with all of the college friends. We call our, called ourselves uh, Flow Six because we uh, all met on the fourth or the, fourth, the sixth floor of our dorm freshman year and had gotten to know each other over the course of two years. So uh, we were having a, a flow party. And the location was in Rusheville, Indiana, uh, around Kokomo, Indiana. 
and it was with a few of the guys that were from there that where we that we met and or that I met and uh they had built this cabin out behind one of the guys house and uh in high school and it was like the place to hang if you like knew the high or if you were at that high school like that was the place to go drink it was uh Sam Sticks Mike and Jake and these guys did um did the did, you know made this cabin they worked summers and and falls and even winters uh making a a uh, a fireplace out of of uh <laughs> stones and 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 cement mix and uh using plywood and, and uh, uh, construction studs made this gigantic treehouse with a with a balcony on the upstairs and uh rope beds uh in the in the main cabin upstairs and there was a wall that they had what seems like in my memory thousands of signatures from everyone that had ever been there and uh, it was so cool it was like something out of like a like a literal fairy tale like the like peter pan lost boy cabin in the woods and uh that's where we were having this party where everyone made their way from from all parts of of the state uh gathered at this location uh, and i wanted to go out in a blaze of glory i wanted to have my van there and that be where i take off and just have that be the moment in in a egotistical kind of way like um to just have that send off with them and because it would it, it'd be cool you know to have all your friends there and you get drunk the night before and show them around the the piece of shit house on wheels that you're about to roll across the country in and um but i i tell my mom that and she very quietly asked me to wait till sunday so we can go to church together so i wait and i i respect her decision on that and uh begrudgingly but i i still i that was the least i could do i was still um uh, uh had had somewhat of of compassion left in me uh to do that for her that wasn't filled with with ego and and um selfish motives uh I could do that for her. So I wait and, uh, and we get there and, and a few of the members of the CC, which is known as the cabin committee of those four guys I mentioned earlier, a couple of them are working on getting the somewhat, uh, moldy cabin ready to go for everybody since it's been, you know, it's some, some seasons where it's just sat out there with no care and, uh, uh, the elements not not being as forgiving as as I think they would have hoped it would have been, but they were getting it ready to go and working up a sweat to to make it a good time for us and and it was a beautiful night and it was a in my eyes and and in my uh, 
uh, creeping sadness, I guess. It was a a last hurrah with these guys and, and all these people. And it was, it was, uh, very loving and, and happy and just so sloppy drunk as, as most 20 year olds do. And just in the woods where no one could hear us. And we sang songs and took pictures and, and, you know, jumped on each other and and you know played around, played games, whatever. Just 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 had a, a wonderful night together. Stayed up till I think sunrise. Most of us, if not all of us, and uh, well, most likely not all of us. There was bound to be one that didn't make it. Uh, so then the morning came around, and over the course of the night, I had you know I expressed. Uh, my love for all of them and in a subtle way to not make it, uh, dramatic and, uh, but let them know what I was doing. And, uh, then in the morning, even if it wasn't part of the conversation, people reminded me that, you know, just one day left, one day left and you were gone. And, um, it was daunting to hear it come out of their mouths. They were, they were in on it at this point And, like I said, over the past year, they were in the dark. Everyone was. And now they were part of this. And uh, encouraging in, in, a, in, a, in a very um, subtle way. Uh, and, and who knows? Maybe they were just like, okay, well, we'll see you in a couple months or we'll see you when we see you. But in my, in my mind, it was this send-off and over breakfast over their stone fire uh you know had their um cast iron skillets with uh, hash browns and eggs and everything and it was it was so nice just just still in the woods like seeming so far away from it all with you know only a mile of wood separating us from the highway and um but like how all gatherings like this go, um, conversations become goodbyes and goodbyes become hugs like they always do. And, uh, that was that. And we drove home and once I got dropped off, I, I wept again, like I did with Chad after dropping him off at the airport. And, uh, and this time it was it was uh it was just the same it was just as as deep and and sad and these these friends that i had made and uh, in such a short amount of time quickly became like family and like some of the guys i mentioned earlier that i've known forever uh you know s- some of these people that i had met in college they they were close to that level for some reason, um, of, of friendship and, and, and brotherhood with the guys and a, and a, uh, and a, and a friendship with the, the girls that I, um, rarely experienced with, with like a, a, a female friendship that most 20 year olds don't, don't really get, get to encounter. That's not, uh, fueled by sexual tension. And, uh, it was nice. 
and uh, I knew I was going to miss him. But the day had come, and it was time to go. Over the past year, I would play this song that you're hearing now. Uh, It's from Lost, that silly show that ripped at me. Uh, But I think deep down, the only reason I cared for it so much was because of uh, the relationship it, it, it gave me with my brother. And this was the song, for those who are familiar, uh, it was the score to when Michael and Jin and Sawyer and Walt are uh, leaving on the raft. And uh, any time over the year when I was feeling unsure or needed some sort of reassuring lift I would play this and most times it would come when uh, when I was drinking in the midst of some of the craziest parties we'd have I'd escape to the bathroom and put it on my headphones and just stare at the mirror and and look at that person and and cry in the middle of a party uh, and say why 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 are you doing this and why do you want to do this you're wasting your time like look what look at all this love around you and you're you're wasting it on what but it never ceased to help and again reassure and reaffirm and solidify the decision so for the last time I played it and it was right after we had gone to church and I'm not a huge religious guy but I was born in the Catholic faith and it was important to me and and still is in a way and I know it's very important to my parents and we sat there in church and as a 20 year old boy man you don't you don't want your parents touching you you know you're not a, but like my mom just held me put her arm around me and and teared up through through the, the entire mass and uh so we got home and I played this upstairs in the spare room and it took the air from my lungs and I I didn't I didn't know what to think. That that seed was just going nuts in my head. Like, this is it. This is you're gonna do this now. You're gonna do it now and you're going to get in the van and you're going to go and you're not going to look back. So I go downstairs and my parents are there with with my youngest brother, Patrick. And uh, they give me this leather-bound journal. And inside the cover, it read, Our dearest Joe Bear, life's like a movie, write your own ending. Keep believing, keep pretending. We know you will achieve what you set out to do. 
Adjust your dreams, but never stop dreaming. Your giggle, smile, and playfulness make it impossible not to love you. Your determination, independence, and curiosity will take you to your own rainbow's end. We love you so much. And they gave that to me, and they said goodbye, and my mom had to text me what she wanted to say because she just couldn't do it. And so I gave them hugs and very few words were said, but the looks said it all. It was it. Was it. And so I get in the van and it fires up and I'm driving away and I feel it getting farther and farther away from the street and I wasn't going to and but I I look back and they were there like a picture and in my head it was the snapshot of how I was going to remember them because that was the last time I was going to see him and I screamed and I yelled and I yelled as I got farther away laughing and crying and that seed finally stopped vibrating. We'll see you next time.